morning. The Lord is good today. It was good yesterday too. But uh, praise God that we could assemble here today. Like Josh mentioned, there's a number of brothers missing, but it still seems full here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Josh, for the reminder. Thank you for bringing this over. And, and my, my dad used to always say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we know that the good intentions and plans, like Josh mentioned, they bring us, they bring us nowhere if we don't step out in faith and do them. And saying things are all are always easy. And what I'm going to say today is it's gonna be hard to listen to. It's easy to be said, but it's true. And uh this message has been in my heart for a few weeks and I didn't plan on sharing it. I had something else prepared. But the Lord brought me back to this. And I'm not worthy to share it, but by faith I will. Because I have not attained. It's a journey the Lord is leading me down. And is leading you down. And the message is, are you an enemy of the cross? Are you an enemy of the cross? Before we begin, let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we invite you into our presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we pray that you would open up that word to us this morning. We pray that you would speak to us, into our hearts, into our innermost parts, and, and show us and divide asunder between soul and spirit the things that you want to tell us, Lord. We pray that you would do a work, and we pray that you could bring forth fruit. And not only fruit, Lord, but we could teach others also. That ultimately, what we are called as disciples is to teach these things to others and to bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you an enemy of the cross? And this question has been lingering in my mind lately. This is a warning to myself and the present age for the tendency for God's people to look to God as the deliverer of everything that afflicts pain in our lives. The truth is, God doesn't want to deliver us from the pain and suffering as much as he wants to deliver us from ourselves. God doesn't want to deliver us from pain and suffering as much as he wants to deliver us from ourselves. Our flesh and our soul life. God, al God already knows what we need. He is all-knowing. He has given us wonderful things throughout our lives, precious things. He knows what we need. He is willing and able to give us everything we ask for. But not everything we ask for is his will. It is when we start fighting God 
about our will that we get into trouble. And I want to remind you these points today are not new to you, but they will serve to remind us that we are sojourners and pilgrims here in desert, not to please ourselves, but to remind us that we are here for one purpose only, and that is to bring glory and honor to the Lord, to have a relationship with Him, to serve others, not because it's the right thing to do, but because we love Jesus Christ. And that's a big difference. The scribes and the Pharisees were about to do God's business, but they did it for their own honor and their own glory. The scribes, the Pharisees, were, were masters at putting their flesh under subjection. But their hearts was deceitfully wicked. They could not bring their hearts and their motives of their hearts under subjection to Christ. But on the outward, they seem to have everything in order. We need to be connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. This is our sole purpose. Our purpose is to not look at our neighbor and say and think within ourselves. What in the world is he or she doing? What is he thinking? Look at that. What is going on? What is he doing? What is he or she thinking? No, the Lord is not concerned that you look at them and judge. The Lord is concerned about your own life, your own motives. The Lord wants to change you. And when opportunity presents itself, you can speak into somebody's life. But only if you have been changed. Does your desire to change the person come out of a love for that person? A true love. A true desire to help them. Or is it a frustration about their life? Let's go to Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And this is my key verse for today, key verses. So keep your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3, starting from verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which I also am apprehended for, Je for Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto these things which are before. I press toward a mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, 
of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul put a lot of emphasis on this verse in 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often before, and I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's very important for us to know who these people are so that we can guard ourselves from them. They're here in this generation just like they were in Paul's day. Verse 19, it tells us who these people are, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto like his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Many of us are acquainted with some forms of grief, suffering, laws of life, and sickness in the past or present. Some of us despise the thought of these things to come to us. And some of us would not change these experiences that they've gone through for anything in this world. These are the Christians that have recognized that suffering and pain are a necessity. They're a necessary tool that the Lord uses in love to chastise us, to bring us unto glory. Oswald Chambers made a profound statement in yesterday's devotions. I want to read a small excerpt of it. We presume we would be ready for battle if confronted with a great crisis, but it is not the crisis that builds something within us. It simply reveals what we are made of already. It is not the crisis that builds something within us, it simply reveals that we are made what we are made of already. What we what we are made of already. Do not you find yourself saying, if God calls me to battle, of course I will rise to the occasion. Yet you won't rise to the occasion unless you have done so on God's training ground. If you are not doing this task that is closest to you now, if you are not doing the task that is closest to you now which God has engineered into your life, when a crisis comes, instead of being fit for battle, you will be revealed as being unfit. And here's the clincher that he said, that Oswald Chambers said, crises always reveal a person's true character. When a person comes into a crisis, his true character comes out. In other words, I've used this example a lot. What comes, what's in the sponge comes out when it's squeezed, and that squeezing is the crisis. What's in the sponge comes out when it's being squeezed, and that could be something that angers us or frustrates us, something in everyday occurrences, but it's usually something bigger.
end quote. In other words, if we are not a friend of the cross in our everyday lives, in a time of crisis, we will act out as enemies of the cross of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be far from thee, Lord, it shall not be unto thee. You shall not have to suffer these things. Why should you suffer? You are Jesus. You are the Son of God. You will be here with us. We will have fellowship together. We will go here. We will teach others. Don't talk of this suffering, said Peter. In verse 23, he says, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. At that moment, Peter was an enemy of the cross. But thankfully, he didn't stay there. And that's why he rebuked him with such harsh words. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is the spirit of Satan that said that. It's the spirit of Satan that wants to bring only comfort and peace and prosperity here in this world. It's not going to build true, true, true soldiers in the Lord. All of us, like Peter, have had occasions that we acted out in the flesh where we were the enemies of the cross in certain situations. It is when we have a pattern in our lives where we live daily and not only go the route of being enemies of the cross, but teach others also. This is where we need to be exceedingly careful because we will teach others also to become the enemies of God. We cause a big stumbling block to be in the way of others. To be in front of others. If we teach that philosophy. Beware of the voices in the church. That were in Paul's day. And also in our present churches. That say that God wants only to bestow good gifts to us. Gifts of comfort. Ease of the flesh. Prosperity. And health. To his people. There is a strong surge in the Anabaptist churches today. I don't think it's necessarily new. It was in Paul's day as well. That's why he spoke of it so strongly. But I just sense here in the Anabaptist churches especially that say it is not necessary that Christians should, should have to suffer. And they emphasize that it's because of our unbelief that we suffer with illnesses and trials. They further say there's no, that no illnesses... They further say that there is no illness that cannot and should not be able to heal bodily here and now. They say that there is no need for people to live in singlehood once their wife leaves them. But they are free to get married again to another woman. They're concerned about the here and now. They're not concerned about eternity. They're, in, they're, they're interested in fulfilling the lust of their flesh 
here and now. God has given us everything as if we're in heaven right now. We're not. It's the beginning of the kingdom, yes, to be lived out. But it is not heaven. They heap to themselves false prophets that will say whatever they want so that they can run after their comfort and ease in the flesh. These are the voices of the enemies of the cross of Christ. I remember when Rachel, my sister, was very sick, and it was a time when she knew she was dying. And nothing short of a miracle could bring her out of it, out of it again. And it was a time where she was a little, where she was struggling. And she had faith. She had deep faith that the Lord is going to heal her on this side of Jordan. But it didn't seem like that was going to happen. And I called a brother in the Lord. Um, it was Daniel Ash. And he asked me, and I, I talked about that, and I talked about Rachel's struggle. And not that she's afraid to die, but that she wanted to live, and she's struggling with it. And Daniel asked me this question, and he asked me, what are your expectations when I come and talk to her, pray with her? What are your expectations about healing? Do you have in your heart that there is no other way than healing? Or are you recognizing that healing is healing if she dies as well? And I said, yes, I am of that opinion <clears throat> that healing can go both ways. And he said, thank you. I am I'm relieved to hear. He said, because God doesn't always heal the way we expect. And his own wife was testimony of that, who has been struggling for years and years with a pain and sickness. But on the outside, it, it, it seems everything's normal. And they have come to great heights in the spiritual world because of that suffering. You can see the humility about them and in their own family, what that fire has done to that family. I was really humbled when they came and the spirit that I felt on that, on that holy man. I have great respect for, <clears throat> for who he is in the Lord. Verse 17 says that we should mark those. That's Philippians 3.17. That we should mark those that walk in righteousness and are friends of the cross. We should mark those that are friends of the cross. What are the marks of those that are enemies of the cross? Verse 19 says they look out for their own bellies. This could be also figuratively, literally or figuratively. I know, I, I believe it's talking about figuratively, but it could be literally as well. They not only love to eat, but they love to look out for yours truly themselves. They are, they are known to do that by many, to look out for themselves. Verse 19, it also says that they mind earthly things. Now, some earthly things are important, but we should not be caught up with just earthly things. 
They are a means to, but not the end to. Spend a week with any person, you will find out what their true passions are. I have seen a few terminally ill Christians really see this truth. They only want the promises of Christ and the things that really matter to have preeminence in their lives and thought lives, not carnal things. I believe it is possible to come that type of perseverance as a healthy person, but it will hardly come without suffering and a burning away of the flesh. And how in the world is the Lord supposed to do that without allowing things to afflict our flesh? How is he supposed to do that? How is he supposed to draw us onto himself without afflicting the flesh? And we pray, Lord, deliver us from this affliction. That's not his will. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it grants us these. But if we truly love the Lord, he chastises us. And he wants us to embrace the cross, to be friends of the cross. Because we recognize it burns away our flesh. It burns away our, our carnality. We could also ask the questions, the question, the enemies of the cross of Christ do also the things the Lord hates. And what are the things the Lord hates? Uh, in Proverbs 6.16, 6, he mentions six things that he hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. These are also the enemies. These are all attributes that the Lord hates and are enemies of the cross of Christ. Such will not enter into the kingdom of God. What is listed here? A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, murders, bullies to those that cannot help themselves, a wicked heart that devises wicked things, a heart that quickly looks for trouble, a man that speaks partial truth and lies, and a man that sows discord among brethren, a troublemaker, a man that always looks at the bad in other people and is quick to point out other people's faults in front of others. An accuser of the brethren, which um, Satanist is the prince. Brethren, if you meet a Christian that is acquainted with grief and suffering and with humility and joy, can praise God for his mercy and kindness. A man that is under submission to God and his fellow brethren, mark such a man, follow after him or his sister. They are among our churches. I have met such godly men and women. And I'm sure you have met such godly men and women in your life. They raise a godly seed in their own home. They live a consistent Christian life. Brethren, watch out for those that come to you and say, The Lord showed me this and the Lord showed me that. They sound ultra-spiritual. And many young people and immature Christians quickly succumb 
to these famous first words. And these are, the Lord showed me this, the Lord showed me that. It's good. The Lord shows us something. I'm not knocking that. But these things must be proven with the saints in front of Holy Scripture. These things must be proven among the brothers with Scripture, not with any private interpretation, what somebody personally thinks these, these things mean. No revelation that is from God will be new revelation. It will be consistent with the Scriptures again and again. Ask yourself if these revelations will appease the flesh. Just like Brother uh, Josh mentioned here. If something is from God, we have to ask ourselves. Ask yourself if these revelations will appease the flesh. Will that revelation make someone's life easier, harder in the flesh? God is certainly not against healing. And we need more of it. And a lot of times it is because of our own belief. But all, every time God uses healing, it is for the growth and encouragement of the church. For the church's growth, I must say. God is certainly not against healing and things that make our lives easier on this earth. He wants our hearts, and if these things take our hearts, he will arrange circumstances that will force us to lay down these things on the altar. If we love him, again, it is only because he loves us. Healing always comes to those that have surrendered their lives. And I say true healing always comes to those that have surrendered their lives to the Lord and are friends of the cross. And that healing comes in place of peace and comfort. It comes in healings of joy. It comes in healing and assurance of knowing we will live eternally with the Father in the new kingdom. And sometimes healing of the body here and now. Sometimes. Not always. We, we see Jesus, everybody that he touched, 100% of the people that he touched were healed. But in, uh, in Paul's letters, we see in some place that he left somebody sick in a, in a, in a town. Why didn't he heal them? Um, Jesus healed everyone that he touched. He didn't heal everybody on earth because he wasn't in, in front of them. But I think there was a purpose why Jesus healed everyone he touches because of the furtherance of the gospel. And everybody that he healed since then died. Of course, everybody died since then. Look at the present situation of Pablo Yoder. Most of us have read his book, Angels Over Waslala. A dear man of God, serving God with his family and church in Costa Rica. A man that is dearly loved in his congregation, in his whole community. A man that has given his community in sacrifice and service. 
He was recently given four to six months to live due to terminal cancer. What was his response? Was, he, was it anger to God and separation from God? No. Pablo is a man acquainted with grief and suffering previously. He's not a new kid on the block when it comes to suffering. And he reacted like he previously did. He turned to God with humility, turning the sickness and situation over to the Lord in perfect peace. Looking to the Lord for a better resurrection. A humble yielding to God that if he decides to take him home, he will gain. He quoted these verse, verses in Philippians 1.20. According to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. That with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, it is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am betwixt, I am straight betwixt the two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all of, all of your furtherance and joy of faith. Um, this is exactly how Brother Pablo feels with his sickness. He is ready with all peace and joy. And he deems himself healed. And if the Lord heals him, he, was, he had a miraculous healing eight years ago from a different sickness. And if the Lord heals him again, he will further continue to serve Christ. If he doesn't, he will go home in glory. This is the mind that we need to have, brethren, to be friends of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 15. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, and as I read here, think of the words here that say cross, cross, cross. They don't say peace, prosperity, and liberty in the flesh. They say cross. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our fate, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? What does it mean if you endure chastening? 
Like, do we have a choice? Yes, we do. We have a choice in rebelling against the chastening of the Lord or accepting it. And as we accept it, we become the sons. It changes us. But if we resist it, it does not change us. If we grow terribly unhappy and sad, go into depression because of that suffering, we are resisting God. We have not wholly given it to God. We need to fully accept that whatever he lays onto our lives, it is from God. Because he does not allow anything into our lives. If we believe we have a hedge round about us. It's not an attack from Satan if we get sick. Anyway, most of the time it isn't. Look, just look at these words. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are your partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. You are without a father. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto our fathers of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded. The fruit of it, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Exercised thereby means they have accepted it, as the Lord's working in their flesh. Verse 12, Whereby lift up the hands that have hanged down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And that root of bitterness has come up to many a Christian that has experienced pain, loss, and suffering. Instead of looking to God on their knees in prayer and asking, Lord, what are you saying to me? And yielding to God and saying, Lord, I trust you, whatever this means to my life. I don't understand it, Lord, but I will accept it as, as from me to, to further chastise my, my flesh. It doesn't get clearer than this. A man that despises the chastisement of our Heavenly Father is none of his. He is a fatherless. Are we going to be friends of the cross and have a loving Heavenly Father? Or are we going to be enemies of the cross and be fatherless? This is a question I want to leave with you. Blessings to you.